0: The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Jesus entered the temple courts, and while he was teaching, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked, and who gave you this authority? Jesus replied, I will also ask you one question. If you answer me, I'll tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. John's baptism? Where did it come from? Was it from heaven or from men? They discussed it among themselves and said, well, if we say from heaven, he will ask, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say from men, we're afraid of the people, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. And he said, Neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. What do you think? There's a man who had two sons. He went to the first, and he said, Son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first, they answered. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit." So what do you think Jesus felt in that moment? What do you think He felt in that moment when He left the chief priests and the Pharisees with nothing to say. When he said, oh, so, you got questions for me? i got a quick question for you. John's baptism. Where did that come from? And he maneuvered them into a spot where they could not say a word. And then he got to say, all right, well, you're not going to tell me, I'm not going to tell you. This afternoon. Literally hundreds of very, very highly paid professionals will demonstrate victorious attitude when they score a touchdown or kick a field goal, when they sack somebody or just get a really good tackle. You wonder sometimes if Jesus had a football, if He would have spiked it. But then I think about what we read in this Ezekiel passage. At the very end, when he says, Rid yourselves of all the offenses you've committed. Get a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord Yahweh. Repent and live I mean, some of the pleasure for a player, of course, is not just knowing that you have scored, but that you beat your opponent, that you beat the coverage. There's something deeply satisfying watching Bill Belichick when the Patriots lose, isn't there? Back when I preached through the book of Matthew, probably 15 years ago, we took about a year and a half to do it, and I... uh, Every time Jesus had one of these encounters with people trying to trick Him, uh, and then He ended up making them look dumb, I called it Big Jesus Smackdown. And I think I had six or seven sermons that were, you know, Big Jesus Smackdown, part one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, because He does this over and over in Matthew's gospel. And I suppose there was a sense in which He would have been satisfied like any of us to have spoken something true and to have shut up people who are speaking nonsense, but I think it may be more accurate, more appropriate, a fuller picture to think of Him as frustrated, as sad. I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord Yahweh. Repent and live. I mean, sure, you can read Jesus as saying to them, you know, the tax collectors and the prostitutes, which would have been about as wicked and immoral a, a pair as you could imagine, these guys are getting into the kingdom of heaven a, ahead of you. You can imagine Him saying that with scorn, but you could also imagine Him saying that with deep sadness. think a prologue to John's gospel. The, the light came the darkness didn't perceive it. He came to His own. But the very people who should have been the most eager to receive Him, the most eager to hear Him, the, the religious scholars of all people should have been eagerly awaiting the Messiah, and instead when they show up, when He shows up, they, they just want to ask Him trick questions. I think Jesus was sad. Like he was disappointed again, these are people who had been given every advantage. You don't get to be a a scholar of Torah without having some serious mental furniture. They would have been smart. They would have been able to turn a phrase. They would have had the privilege of spending all this time studying God's most holy Word, and yet, what did they do with it? They're like the son who said, oh, sure, yeah, Dad, I'll I'm there, going right out, be right out there to work. He sits around on the couch playing video games all day. <laughs> Meanwhile, the lazy son, sure enough, gets up and works. But it's that reality that sometimes the lazy son does get up and work, sometimes the tax collector, the c- collaborator with the Roman occupiers, the prostitutes, the immoral, sometimes they repent. After all, that's what it, God's talking about there in Ezekiel, turn around. It's not too late. You can turn around. There's a sense in which we may have understood, we may understand that Jesus was even hopeful. There's a rabbi from the 20th century, Yitzhak Hutner, he was commenting on this passage in Ezekiel. He said, you know, the thing is when when somebody is alive, you have to maintain that life. There are things you have to do to stay alive, to stay healthy. When you're dead, there's nothing you have to do to stay dead. That comes natural. And someone who's cut off from the source of life can't live. They're dead. The sinner he says has already died so for the sinner to repent and start doing good deeds would be like trying to feed and medicate a corpse doesn't make any sense but the fact that repentance does achieve spiritual resurrection is a gift of god that is truly unique The fact is, Paul says in his letter to the Ephesians that we were dead, all of us. We were dead in our transgressions and sins that we used to live in when we followed the ways of this world, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit now at work, and those who are disobedient. We all lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts like all the rest of them, we were, by our very nature, objects of wrath. The way we were living set us up to be right in God's crosshairs. And yet, because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. And He did that even when we were dead in our transgressions. While we were dead, He made us alive. It's by grace, God's grace, that we've been saved. Not just that, He raised us up with Christ. He seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. It's by grace you've been saved through faith. This isn't something you did. This isn't something you achieved. This isn't something that you managed. It's certainly not something you earned. It's God's gift. You got nothing to brag about. You got nothing to point to as something you accomplished to earn this. For we are God's workmanship. We were created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So the good things that we do, the repentance from our sins, the good deeds that we do, the lives of holiness that we can live, these aren't things that we do. They're things that God enables us to do, first of all, through His grace in saving us. I think that's the point of what Paul is saying here at the end of our reading in Philippians, a letter he wrote right around the same time he wrote Ephesians. He says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, some people would stop there. This would be a pep talk. I'd be the coach in the locker room telling you to go out and get them. But that's not where Jesus stops, where Paul stops because it's not where Jesus stops. Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling because it's God working in you to will and to act according to His good purpose. Even your repentance is something that God enables. And every other good thing that we do is something that comes from Him. Elsewhere, elsewhere, Paul says, I I work, I labor, I strive with all the strength that He gives me. So what that means is that we don't tell God like that disobedient son, yeah, I'm, I'm there, and then hang back in the locker room. But it also means that when we do get a sack, when we do put the enemy on his back, when we do find that God has enabled us to achieve things for the sake of Him and His kingdom, that we do like so many of the players do we point to Him. We give Him all glory and honor and praise because, as Paul says, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen.